0: together. We're so glad all of you could be here with us this morning. Why don't you take a look around and see who's around you and say hello. We pray for the families and for the children that have been dedicated to you this morning. That with every decision they make, um, that they make a choice that glorifies you. God, we pray that you bless our time together here this morning in worship. And we pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. We love you and we worship you. In your name, amen.
1: Men, go ahead and be seated. It's a great day of worship as we... um, celebrate with these families. We were praying for them behind stage before the service, and you, know, you really think about this moment of families and children coming together, and uh, Randy, our bassist, says, you know, it's really a stake in the ground moment, It's saying, Lord, above all else, we want to follow you, and we're, we're doing this not just out of habit or ritual or routine, but we're doing this because we believe in you and everything we have, including these children that you have blessed us with. They're yours. And so guide us and lead us. We're continuing on today in our series on the Holy Spirit entitled God and Me. And I want to start by bringing up something from last week's message. The title of the message was Comfort Me, where we looked at the ministry of the Holy Spirit to bring us peace in the midst of our worry. And I really do believe it was more than just coincidence that the message happened to fall on the Sunday before election Tuesday. I told you, you'd make it. You'd come back. We'd be okay, right? It happened. See, a big part of the peace that the Holy Spirit wants to bring to our hearts has to do with our perspective as Christians, reminding us who we are and where we're headed. And you know what? From an ultimate and eternal standpoint, that hasn't changed in a week's time. It hasn't. There is nothing about this election for better or for worse, that alters our core identity as children, our, uh, children of God and our final destiny as heirs to his kingdom. Nothing whatsoever about that has changed. Now, I said this again. I said this last Sunday. I'll say it again. You know, politics matter. They do, but only to a point. But because they do matter, I'm not going to stand up here and dismiss whatever emotions you might have felt this past week, right? Because the nature of politics is one of urgency, and urgency makes us emotional. But what I will do is challenge the reasons behind your emotions. And so if you as a Christian are disproportionately overjoyed or depressed over what happened last week, you're doing it wrong. Tells me it tells you that your hope is in the wrong place. Political process is never going to bring you the peace that your heart is looking for. No, the peace that our hearts need is only found in Jesus Christ. The peace that the Holy Spirit wants to remind us over and over again. And so we saw last week, Romans 8, 16, I hope you took this to heart, that the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And so we need to let the Holy Spirit speak His message of abiding peace into the deepest places of our hearts. see, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are no more or no less a child of God and a member of his forever family than you were last week. That is where our peace and our hope must be found. And so today then, as we move on, I'm putting last week behind us, we're going to talk about another one of the Holy Spirit's roles in our lives, and that's his ministry of guidance. His ministry of guidance, how he leads us in life and directs us in the ways we should go. Now, as we've seen throughout this series, back during the time of Jesus, right before he left his disciples, he promised them that when he left this earth, he would not leave them alone, that his heavenly father would send them another advocate, another helper, and his name is the Holy Spirit. And so you see in a passage like this one, John 14, verse 26, but the advocate the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Now, on the one hand, this is a promise from Jesus to his original disciples, and it has a unique application to them as the founding apostles of the big C church of Jesus Christ that we see in the book of Acts. And yet, on the other hand, even though we aren't them, even though we live 2,000 years later, there is still a teaching and reminding and leading and guiding ministry that the Holy Spirit has in our lives as well. And so the question is, what does guidance in our lives from the Holy Spirit look like? How does it happen? What should we be looking and listening for? An audible voice, inward impressions, signs, dreams, visions like we see in the Bible? What? That's what we want to explore today, and to do so, we're going to look both at the big picture and at the fine detail. The big picture, the fine detail, the big picture of how God has guided his people throughout history along with, then, the fine detail of our everyday lives, and I believe that by the time we're done, we're going to have a better grasp on how the Holy Spirit wants to lead each one of us. So to start, actually I actually want us to go back in time and talk about the people of God before the time of Jesus. That is the era of the Old Testament. And I want to do so because while there has always been a God and while there has always been a desire of that God to communicate to his people, how he does that changes over time. And it's important for us to understand that because you know, one of the big mistakes that some Christians make is that when they read the Bible... They take a story from the Bible in one era and just assume, or should I say presume, that the same God is going to work for them in the exact same way. That's not the case. And so you look in the Old Testament, right? You see these multiple stories of the Lord speaking directly and audibly to special leaders, to chosen messengers, You see things like God communicating to Jacob through an angel, to Joseph through dreams, to the prophets Isaiah and Daniel through visions, and even to Moses through a burning bush. And as miraculous, or maybe to you as unbelievable as these may sound, I believe these things really happen, that there were these different ways, different channels that the Lord used to give guidance to his people. I mean, there's even the story of Gideon and how God used wet and dry fleeces to confirm his message and the way Gideon should go. But the way it once was doesn't always mean that's the exact same way forever. More specifically, that when you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, when you enter the New Covenant era after the time of Jesus Christ, you see this expressed in the New Testament book of Hebrews, right? Right at the beginning, verse 1, chapter 1, pass in the past, God spoke to our ancestors. How did He do that? Through prophets at many times and in various ways. And that's what we see in the Old Testament, right? These special signs, these graphic dreams, supernatural visions, audible voices from heavens. You can see priests casting sacred lots to make decisions to determine God's will, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Verse two, but in these last days. It's the way the writers of the New Testament refer to the era of the church, right? In the last days, the the time we live in now, he has spoken to us by his Son through whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. God's way of communicating with his people changed drastically after Jesus came. Everything that the prophets hinted at before now came to reality through Jesus And that after he ascended into heaven 50 days later, God pours out his Holy Spirit upon the church to guide them into all truth. Not only that, we see that the nature of Scripture changes as well and that the content of our Holy Bible has now been brought to completion following the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I realize what I'm describing here certainly doesn't seem as spectacular as visions and dreams and angelic visitations, but what we have as Christians today is even more remarkable. You know, we have this tendency to, to look at the Bible as just another book, but there is a unique spiritual authority that the scriptures possess, and we need to make sure we understand that. The Apostle Peter goes out of his way to drive home that point in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, verse 21. He says this that above all, You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. What's Peter saying there? He's saying that when you read the Bible, it's not just the opinion of a bunch of dead guys who lived 2,000 years ago and beyond. You know, we think of the Bible and we say, well, they lived in a much different, more primitive era. They didn't kind of face the challenges we face today, or they didn't possess the same kind of knowledge we now have in the 21st century. And those are some of the charges and accusations you see leveled against the Bible, trying to undercut its authority. And if the Bible was just the opinion of a bunch of guys named Peter and John and Paul, I'd agree with that. But it's not. It's much more than that. Verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by whom? By the Holy Spirit. So while you'll often hear me say that the Bible is not just an inspirational book, There are plenty of those, but it's an inspired book. It is God-breathed by the Holy Spirit through human authors, and no other written work in all of human history can make that kind of claim. That's why Scripture has both this timely and timeless quality to it. It's timely in that it was written by a specific person in a specific language at a specific location during a specific era, That's why we have all these different books, right? But it's timeless in the sense that the authors are, what does it say, carried along by the Holy Spirit, who is eternal. That he works through these unique personalities to communicate God's thoughts to God's people. And so when you talk about the Holy Spirit guiding us in life, I said this in a message a couple of weeks ago, and it bears repeating that because we now have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us as Christians, and because we now have the complete Bible as God's word to us, that when you put those two together, you discover that the primary way we hear from God today, the primary way we receive His guidance, is when the Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God to our spirits within. The Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God to our spirits within. Happens in the sermons, it happens in worship songs, it happens with Bible studies, growth classes, community groups, as we gather with others, and it happens in our own personal reading of the Bible as well. That's why the Bible is so integral to everything we do around here. And so whether it's Sunday worship or midweek community groups, whether it's with ministry to children or students or adults, whether it's a class on finances or a class on parenting, whatever it is, we want to put you in the best position possible to hear from God, to receive guidance from the Holy Spirit in your life. And the way that's going to happen is to make sure that you are personally interacting with the Bible up here and in here. And so my point is that if you are a Christian who genuinely desires to be led by the Holy Spirit as ordinary and as unspectacular as it may sound, you begin the pages of Scripture. So that's where you got to start. But i got to tell you, if you're like me, it still doesn't feel like enough, does it, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. The Bible is great and everything, but well, let's face it, that if we're being honest, it doesn't spell out in great detail the right choice for every decision we've got to make in life, right? It doesn't tell us which outfit we're supposed to wear to church today. It doesn't tell us whether God wants us to put more money into car repairs or to just give up and look for another one. It doesn't tell us if he or she is the one we're supposed to marry. And I'm pretty sure, although some of you might disagree with me, that there isn't a verse... In there, that shows us who we were supposed to vote for last week, right? (laughs) My point is, even if we do believe the primary way we hear from God today is when the Spirit of God speaks the Word of God to our spirits within, is there anything more that we can expect from the Holy Spirit in terms of guidance? Well, the good news is I do think there is. And so for the rest of our time, I want to share with you four principles to help us better understand how the Holy Spirit leads in the finer details of life. And as I share these, let me just add that these four principles not only come out of scripture, but they also come out of personal experience, both in terms of mine as a Christian and also what I've seen God do in the lives of other believers I've known as well. Four principles. So here's the first. The first principle is this, the guidance principle of boundaries. Boundaries. The Guidance Principles of Boundaries. And the Guidance Principle of Boundaries says that the Holy Spirit will never lead us in a way that contradicts the authority of Scripture. The Holy Spirit will never lead us in a way that contradicts the authority of Scripture. Now, hopefully that makes sense. I mean, after all, if the Bible is the product of the Holy Spirit moving human authors to record the timeless truth of God in a time-bound way, then we need to pay attention if we're somehow heading in a direction that is in defiance of what God has revealed In Scripture. Now, like I said, there's a lot in the Bible that doesn't tell us about the numerous decisions we face in everyday life, right? Even today, right? Doesn't tell you where you should park, where you should sit, chocolate, glaze, sprinkles, all the above, right? You know, there's not a verse that's going to tell you that. But you know what? There is a lot more in the Bible that talks about the choices we make than we'd like to admit. A few years ago, we went through a message series on the will of God, and, you know, some of the amazing things we saw in this series are the numerous Bible passages that just flat out say, this is God's will for you. And it's amazing how explicit and specific the Bible gets. So take, for instance, a passage like this one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that each of you should avoid Sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable Not in passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God It is God's will that you should dot 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 can't get much clearer than that You know, I think it was Mark Twain The famous American author who said something like it's not the Bible passages. I don't understand that trouble me It's the passages. I do understand right And every time I read this here in 1 Thessalonians 4, I think of that quote. I mean, talk about something that not only defies what's going on in our culture, it also defies what's going on in us and what we feel and what we desire and what we think we deserve. I know that there have been many good-hearted, well-meaning Christians who have been romantically drawn to someone else, convinced it's from the Lord, and have talked themselves into thinking that because they're in love... It's not only okay, but it's right. It must be from God to give themselves fully over to someone else in a physical way. I'm sorry, that's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit leading you. He's never going to take you in a direction that is contrary to what the Scriptures have already spelled out. And he said What? He says this, that Christians, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that you should stay away from any kind of shared sexual intimacy that's expressed outside the bonds of the marriage covenant. Instead, he says, what? Learn to control your bodies in a holy and honorable way. And just to be clear, God says this not to take away from our joy, but to add to it. God says this not to make your life miserable, but to t- protect you from misery. And in case we have any doubts, I love how Paul adds right after that, verse 7, for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Look at this, therefore anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. It's not just an inspirational book, it's an inspired book. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. This isn't Pastor Dan trying to bring you down. This isn't the Apostle Paul stuck in a different era. No, this is the Holy Spirit and the principle of scriptural boundaries. And this is just one example. The Holy Spirit isn't going to lead you to hold on to grudges and withhold forgiveness. It's not going to lead you to judgmental thoughts and racial prejudices. It's not going to lead you to financial greed and deceptive practices. No, the Holy Spirit always works in conjunction with, not in contradiction, against the pages of Scripture, God's Word to us. And so that's one way the Holy Spirit leads us, by working within the boundaries of Scripture. Here's another principle, and it's the guidance principle of freedom. The guidance principle of freedom says that the Holy Spirit is not a micromanager, and he doesn't want us to be fearful of the choices we make. The Holy Spirit is not a micromanager in your life, and he doesn't want you to be fearful of the choices you make. You know, as I've gone through life, I have met plenty of people who don't want to be told what to do, right? You've met them too, and let's be honest, much of the time, we're those people, right? But you know what I find interesting? That more and more I run into people who do want to be told what to do. They do. Grown ups, Christians with a genuine desire to want to please God, yet they're so afraid of messing up and making a wrong decision. So they don't want to have to choose for themselves. If that's you, I need to tell you that's not how God wants you to live. I think back to a passage in Romans chapter 8 that we saw last week, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. It says right here that to be a Christian is to be a child of God who is led by the Spirit of God. And it is the deep desire of the Holy Spirit within you that you not live captive to fear. This is the liberating power of the grace of God that we received and that we continue to experience. It's far different than life under rule-keeping, performance-based religion. See, apart from Jesus... Religious people live in fear under the law, always working hard to measure up while also at the same time always trying hard not to mess up. That's where the fear comes in, a fear that a lot of us still have, leftover religious baggage from which the Spirit wants to set us free from. And so yes, as the Holy Spirit leads us, we have to live within the boundaries of what He has already revealed to us in Scripture, but after that, there is freedom. Freedom to choose, freedom from fear. Freedom from feeling paralyzed that you're somehow going to mess up and end up God, making mad at God being bad at you, right? Remember, we've also seen this in this series as well, right at the beginning of Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. We have been set free from living life on the defensive freedom so we can play to win instead of the fear of playing not to lose see it's not just that god allows us to make choices no he wants us to make choices that's why i say that the holy spirit is not a micromanager think about it if you and i as christians are indeed as children of god then doesn't it make sense that our heavenly father would want us to take on more responsibility for our choices as we grow and mature the way it works in a human family right or at least it should now when children are young they do need to be instructed they do need to be told what to do even down to the little details of everyday life but if parents are really doing their job then the approach has got to change as the kids get older they shouldn't treat their six-year-old the same way they treat their six-year-old make sense freedom responsibility maturity Growth. They all go together. And if that's the way it works on a human level, do you think it'd really be for our best? If the Holy Spirit had to spell out every single last decision in life that we face? No. So, yes, the Holy Spirit guides us, but he doesn't spoon feed us. Now, what I'm about to say isn't so much scripture as it is just my opinion. So you can take this with a grain of salt. But if indeed this analogy of, you know, freedom, responsibility, maturity, growth with children is accurate, then it wouldn't surprise me if the Holy Spirit was more direct and obvious in his guidance of younger Christians than he is with older and more mature Christians. That if a new Christian was facing a choice and he or she didn't know what to do about the decision before them and genuinely sought direction from the Holy Spirit, then he just might spell out a specific answer through unique circumstances, through the advice of an older Christian, through a distinct inward impression, or maybe even something more miraculous than that. It happens. I believe that. Now, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit would never do that for an older, more mature Christian, but it might not happen as frequently. Again, it's not that the Holy Spirit doesn't care He's just as interested in our maturity. And so the hand-holding ways he dealt with us when we were young in the faith might look differently now that we've walked with him longer. Now here's the reason I bring that up. I feel like there are times I run into older Christians who wish things were the way they were when they first met the Lord. Now there's nothing wrong with wanting a fresh relationship with God, one that's fueled by the Holy Spirit. That's something we should all desire. But we should be rattled if our faith feels a little differently, if God deals with us a little differently now than how he did back in the infancy of our faith, right? Does that make sense? Maybe it's a little bit of tangent, right? But the larger principle of guidance remains. This principle of freedom. The Holy Spirit is not a micromanager. That he doesn't want us to be fearful of the choices we make boundaries freedom a couple more the guidance principle of prayer the guidance (laughs) principle of prayer says that the holy spirit not only helps us pray but he also intercedes for us when we don't even know what to pray for (laughs) the holy spirit not only helps us pray but he also intercedes for us when we don't even know what to pray for now when you talk about god's guidance you have to talk about prayer right Prayer is God's gift to us. Prayer is our open invitation as Christians to approach the throne of the Almighty God in the name of Jesus and to humbly ask for his help, his favor, his blessing and direction for our lives. So yes, God wants us to be mature, to take responsibility for our lives as we go as Christians, but even still, we will never outgrow our need for prayer. And one of the great ministries that the Holy Spirit has in our lives is this ministry of prayer. Now, the guidance principle of prayer you read here comes straight out of the Bible. It's actually also found in Romans chapter 8. When you drop down to verse 26, verse 27, Paul says this, that in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless, through wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with with the will of God. Now, there's a lot going on here in this passage, and to be quite honest, I'm not completely sure how it all works. All I do know is that I'm really glad that it's true and that the Holy Spirit is fiercely committed to pray on our behalf. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. He prays for us. He pleads for us through wordless groans. Wordless groans. Now, a few verses earlier, Paul uses the same word of groaning to talk about how we as Christians groan inwardly along with creation, waiting for our full and final deliverance from the curse of sin. Deliverance from all the frustration that comes from living in a beautiful but broken world, filled with beautiful but broken people who do beautiful but broken things to each other. And sometimes in this life, when things get difficult because we've encountered that brokenness, we feel like all we can do is pray and yet we have no idea how to begin or even what to pray for. You ever been there in life? I know I have. And when we get to those moments, the Holy Spirit takes over. He hears the cries of our hearts. Right? It says here. He puts them in a prayer on our behalf to our Heavenly Father. And in some spiritual and supernatural way that is far beyond our understanding, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all come together. And they work on our behalf according to God's will, and his best for us. And so there have been times in my life, and I would encourage you to do the same, when I felt so helpless that all I could do was appeal to this passage and pray something like this. Holy Spirit, I need you. I need you because I don't know what to say. I can't put into words what I'm feeling or even what the problem is. All I know is that I need you. Well, that might sound like the lamest prayer in the world, Right? But for you to step out of the way and to let the Holy Spirit take over and pray for you, when you think about it that way, it sounds like the strongest prayer ever. Guidance principle of prayer. says that the Holy Spirit not only helps us pray, gives us direction, but he also intercedes for us when we don't even know what to pray for. Boundaries, freedom, prayer. One more guidance principle, and I'll close after that. It's the guidance principle of surprises the guidance principle of surprises. And it says that we always need to be open to nudges and interruptions from the Holy Spirit. We always need to be open to nudges and interruptions from the Holy Spirit. Now, i got to tell you, this is the most mystical and mysterious of the four of them. And because of that, it's also the one that's going to make a lot of us feel pretty uncomfortable. I mean, let's face it, a lot of us don't like Surprises. We don't. We like our lives planned out and organized. And anytime we're thrown a curveball, it throws us into a panic. Now, just to be clear, God is not against, panic, against planning. Right? I mean, the Bible is clear about that, especially in the Book of Proverbs. But what he what he is against is when we get so locked into our own plans that we shut him out and take back control of our lives. And so, even more important than following our own plan, God wants us to do. His will. And sometimes the specifics of that will aren't always clear to us. They're not clear either because he hasn't quite revealed that to us yet, or because maybe we're too self-focused and not paying attention to him. Whatever the case might be, there are those times when the Holy Spirit's going to surprise us and lead us in a different direction than we thought we were supposed to go. You know, we see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. Not only with his conversion, but also with his subsequent ministry, then that's. 16, as Paul is traveling through the Mediterranean world, as he's sharing the gospel, the Spirit prevents him from going where he thought he was supposed to go, and instead, through a supernatural vision, redirects him to the region of Macedonia. Supernatural vision, needless to say, that is an interruption. Now, did Paul expect it? No. Was he going out and looking for it? No. But was he open to respond to it once it happened? Yeah. He did. And I think that's the same kind of openness to the Holy Spirit we need to have today. To the ways that he might surprise us. And see, this is where we as Christians can get it wrong. That on the one hand, there are some believers who go through life desperately seeking these miraculous occurrences, these divine interventions, believing that it's more spiritual to live that way, elevating experience over Scripture. On the other hand, there are also some Christians We're totally closed to any unplanned, unexpected work of the Spirit like this, where it's not so much a matter of godly caution as it is a matter of selfish control. So we need to live somewhere between the two extremes. Now, a surprise by definition isn't something you expect. So you can't be demanding of God to miraculously show up on your own command. And yet, if you feel a nudge... If you feel nudged, go talk to a person who's sitting by themselves at a restaurant or to write of a note, note of apology to a friend that you haven't talked to in years or to send money to someone that God lays on your heart out of nowhere. Pay attention to that. I don't know what it might be. Maybe you've been offered a job to do something you would never imagine or to go somewhere you never said you would and you just can't shake it. Is that the Holy Spirit guiding you? It could be, especially if it stays with you for a while beyond a fleeting moment. So if you've already had these other three principles in place in your life, boundaries, freedom, and prayer, then don't rule out the possibility of this fourth one as well. We can't live such tight-fisted, closed-hearted, button-down lives that we're unwilling and unable to respond to when the Holy Spirit wants to guide us in life. We've covered a lot of ground today, right? There's principles, there's guideline, there's scripture. There's not a point-by-point roadmap. And so as we think about that and as I wrap up, I want to challenge us right, to take one of these four, four principles and go further with it this week. Right? Maybe it's the one about boundaries. and Maybe it's about Freedom. Maybe it's about prayer. Maybe it's about surprises. Whatever it is, I want you to take some time to get alone with God this week. Let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Because I truly believe that when we come to him with a sincere and unhurried heart, just take a breath, right? Unhurried heart. That he will, in his own way, in his own time, give us the guidance we're desperately looking for. We need to have the faith to take God at his word that we who are led by the Spirit are indeed the children of God. That is who we are. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you that you do not leave us alone in this big bad world left to figure everything out. Thank you that you have given us your word. You have given us your spirit. And thank you that you lead us and guide us. Lord, I know we have hundreds of lives in here. I think the one that, the principles that's just gripping me right now is this principle of freedom. And I pray that you would free people from their misplaced fear today. Afraid of making a wrong choice. Afraid of um, you getting mad at them, you know, that they would understand their secure place in your forever family. And God, thank you. Thank you that there is grace when we mess up. Let us experience that the deepest places of our heart, your forgiveness through Jesus. And with that, may your Spirit allow us to live freely, boldly, confidently. Not in ourselves, but in you. And always turning to you in prayer, seeking your guidance. Holy Spirit, lead us. You're welcome here in this place, in our lives, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. we celebrate the Holy Spirit's presence in this place and in our lives. Next week, uh, Pastor Ken is going to wrap up our God and Me series. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit's desire to use us in God's kingdom work. But as you go from here, may the Holy Spirit fill you with faith and free you from fear. God bless you.